Good morning, church. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. If you're a guest, welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. If you are a member, know that we, got, we have been praying for you guys. Let us know how we can assist you and continue to pray for you. As Jared mentioned, we're beginning this Advent season, um, and we will have four sermons on uh, the birth of Christ, the importance of Jesus in our lives, the importance of Jesus in this local congregation. Um, so we'll have different sermons, uh, different passages of scriptures that we will look at concerning the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The title of today's sermon is The Birth of Jesus. The Birth of Jesus. You know, I think when you think about this season, it can be so riddled with, um, we're just so consumed with wanting to buy presents, uh, making sure that our kids have all the gifts they need, uh, making sure we have money that we, uh, sometimes, you know, I remember my mom used to put things on layaway. I don't know if they still do that today, um, but she used to put things on layaway, make sure we get everything that we needed. Uh, and to see my mom at times just stress to make sure we get all the gifts, right? And sometimes right now, even as an adult, you know, we, we can struggle with the same thing. Um, the purpose of the season for us is not even Christ anymore. The purpose is making sure we give our kids and everyone we love uh, the best gift ever. But listen to me. I do think in this Advent season, I want you to pay close attention to the birth of Christ, but let's put the real reason for the season, and it's Jesus. It is Jesus. So what I want you to do is to have a time of relaxation. I love this season. I love this season. It's, it's by far one of my favorite seasons. Um, and one of the main reasons is because we go to stores and we see people who are usually upset. They're very happy, right? Everyone around us seems to be very, very happy. Um, but I think it's important for us to see Christ in Christmas. It's important for us to contemplate about the birth of Jesus, the salvation Jesus has given us, and to worship Jesus. J.I. Packer stated concerning the birth of Christ, he says, it is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depth of the Christian revelation lie. And he is absolutely right, brothers and sisters. We should be captivated and fascinated by the glory of Christ in this Christmas story. We should be. We shouldn't just look at Jesus in a manger and, and just walk away from this. No, we, we should look at Christ for who he is. This Christmas story is very, very profound. So in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, the author helps us understand the details surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Now let me share this with you. Matthew focuses on the story, the nativity, Jesus' nativity, based on Joseph's perspective. Luke focuses on Mary's perspective. So the lineage in Matthew is from Joseph's family tree. The lineage in the book of Luke is from Mary's family tree. So Jesus is from the house of David on both sides, right? But this is Jesus' adoptive father right? And here specifically, Matthew wants you to observe this. Also, when we look at Luke's nativity story, it explains Jesus's humanity. 
It really focuses on the humanity of Christ. But Matthew really focuses on the deity of Christ. This is why he says, Emmanuel, God with us. So we can learn so much about the nativity story here through Joseph's perspective. So this morning, I want us to observe four things here concerning Joseph's viewpoint of the birth of Christ. One, I want you to see Joseph's distress, which we see in verse 18. Two, I want you to see Joseph's resolve, which is, which is in verse 19. Three, I want you to see Joseph's comfort, Joseph's comfort, which is in verses 20 through 23. And four, I want you to observe Joseph's obedience, which is in verses 24 through 25. Join me as we pray together. Father, I'm thankful that we are able to look at the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have famous Christmas stories and Christmas movies that we absolutely love. And during this season, we go to over and over and over again. This is by far the greatest. This is the truth. This is about our Lord Jesus Christ being born of virgin birth. And God, we thank you for the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are many implications. And I pray today that we will gravitate to truth and that we will apply truth in our lives. But teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not and give us what we do not have. And God's people said, amen. First point here is Joseph's distress. Joseph's distress. The word betrothed, if you notice in your Bible, is also the word translated as engagement. But yet in verse 16, it says that Joseph is, is mentioned as, as Mary's husband. So how does this make sense? Is Joseph engaged to Mary or is Joseph married to Mary, right? For us, if I'm engaged, it doesn't mean that I am married in our culture. But in this culture, it was absolutely different. The main reason why is because there were different stages to a marriage, right? Stage one was the sense of when the father and the mother, right, the parents of the groom, the parents of the bride would meet up together and they would say, this is the couple we want to be together. That's without, without the couple actually being together. The parents would meet up and then the parents would say, let's make an agreement for my son and your daughter to be together. And what they would do is they will also, at that very moment, stage one, they would actually make an agreement, and it's called a dowry. So the, the groom would actually bring uh, maybe a cow, uh, maybe a different animal, uh, maybe money to the bride's family as a dowry. And then step, step two, or stage two, would basically involve the public notion of them being engaged so the entire community will hear Joseph and Mary are getting married but that particular engagement is different than our kind of engagement that engagement was very binding like in our engagement today someone would engage someone it's not necessarily binding but in that particular culture it was and at that very moment they would proclaim their love to each other. They will proclaim that love in the, in the community. And that stage will last about a year. And then the final stage would be consummation. You see, Mary and Joseph was in that second stage. That second stage. 
And that second stage involved the sense of proclaiming their love for each other, letting the culture or the community know of their love, but it was binding. That's why they mentioned in verse 16 that they were married. But yet, there was no consummation. Notice very carefully what it mentions. Matthew says that she was pregnant before they came together, before the third and final stage. Put yourself in this young couple's position. I think of Mary, putting myself in Mary's situation. I'm not a woman, so probably it's the wrong thing for me to do, put myself in a situation. Maybe you ladies can do the same. Um, but put yourself in that position where you feel like, man, I'm married, I'm about to be engaged to this person, and now I am pregnant with the Holy Spirit. What will the culture do? What would, what would the community do? What would my neighborhood do? And she knew exactly what they would do. Based on Deuteronomy in, in, in the law, it mentioned if a woman at that particular stage would cheat on her husband and get pregnant, she was called to be stoned. But I want you to notice something amazing about Mary here. Mary wasn't chosen just because she was such a good person. Mary was chosen because she had faith. She had tremendous faith. Matthew doesn't tell us much about how Mary was chosen and that particular conversation between Mary and the angel Gabriel. However, in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, tells us and gives us some really great truth about Mary. But before I read this, I want you to pay close attention to this and maybe even write this down. True faith shows itself through obedience. Mary was chosen because of true faith. She was in love with Yahweh. She was in love with the things of God. And it shows itself through her obedience to God. And don't miss this as we read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, of the, of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Notice how Luke and Matthew tells you on a consistent basis, Mary was a virgin. She was a virgin. The world tells you she wasn't. There's no way she can be. But the Bible wants you to see, the mir wants you to see a miracle here. She was a virgin. And she came to her, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Why is Mary Favored. It's because of genuine faith. Don't miss this. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Do you get it again? Even Mary is questioning this. I'm a virgin. 
And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And in the sixth month with her, who was called barren? But nothing will be impossible with God. And here it is. Here's Mary's genuine faith that reveals itself through her obedience, right? And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So here is this woman who was a virgin. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you will conceive a son the spirit of god will come upon you and here we have the matthew tells us that she is pregnant she is pregnant there is great faith here but also understand joseph's perspective imagine as a man that you are getting married to this woman who is a virgin and and she gets pregnant and she tells you oh, it's from the holy spirit really right what would be your disposition? What would be your attitude? What would you say to her? And the text mentions here about Joseph also concerning his genuine faith that produced great obedience. Don't miss this. Joseph is contemplating all of these things. And Joseph is saying because of his love for Mary and because he is righteous, he wanted to put her aside privately, divorce her privately, and move on. Because Joseph didn't want her to be stoned, right? So we see here in the text of Joseph's great love, not only for God, but also for his wife, Mary. He dealt with her differently. But I want you to observe with me the second point. Joseph's resolve. How did Joseph resolve all of this? According to the text, as you're reading through it, it mentions here Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to degrade her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. This tells us of a great man of God who deals with things differently. And friends, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Come in closer and get this. When we are faced with very tough decisions and difficult decisions, we should act like Joseph. In righteousness, seek the Lord. In righteousness, wait upon the Lord. Do you, do you see this here? Although Joseph is thinking, this is what I need to do, but because of his righteousness, he's waiting on the Lord. The Lord speaks to Joseph and tells Joseph, don't put her away publicly because that child is from the Holy Spirit. And this is a practical thing for us today. We have many decisions to make in our lives. And the world tells you, just act upon your decision making. Just, just, just act upon it. If you feel like doing something, act upon your desires. Biblical people wait on the Lord. They pray. They seek God. They wait for peace from God to move mightily, especially if your decision involves other people. This is what we're called to do. And we see this over and over and over again in Scripture. Not only with Joseph, but we see it with other men and women in Scripture. So what did Joseph resolve? He resolved to do something here, yet the Lord changed Joseph's mind to pursue the things that God wants him to pursue. This leads us to the third point. 
Not only do we see Joseph's distress, not only do we see Joseph's resolve, we also see Joseph's comfort. Joseph's comfort. What do you see this, Kevin? Verses 20 through 24 helps us understand Joseph's comfort here. The comfort comes from the fact that the Spirit of God, the, as, as Joseph is sleeping, he gets this dream, and God speaks to him. And here's the comfort. The comfort is, Joseph, this child is not from another man. This child is from the Holy Spirit. This is God at work here. This is God at work here. So the comfort that Joseph received was the fact of the virgin birth. The virgin birth gave Joseph great comfort. Now, don't miss this because I think there are so many people who struggle with this virgin birth. How can this happen? You know, I, I just can't believe a miracle like the virgin birth. And there are some people who claim Christianity and deny the virgin birth. But I want you to observe the importance of the virgin birth. It is foundational. It is very important that we get this and we believe this. Why would you say this, Kevin? Because the virgin birth does multiple things. There are different facets of the virgin birth. One in particular is that the virgin birth points towards the fact that Jesus was fully human. Do you get this? God could have done this any other way possible. God could have said, I'm just going to come and I will be a full-grown man and everyone's going to worship me and I'll be fully just this divine thing, a divine person. But God chose to come through this biological human. And there's a reason why. It's because God wants us to see that he is fully human and fully God. If he is just fully God and he's not fully human, he cannot sympathize with us. Do you get it? The humanity of Christ points to us of the compassion of Christ. That he's been through things that we are going through. Disappointment, discouragement. People betraying us. Jesus went through all of that in his humanity. Tiredness. Jesus went through that. Hunger. He went through that, right? All of these things Jesus went through, and the virgin birth points to the fact that Jesus was born fully human. My friends, just, just, just get this. He, he came as a crying, cooing, bet-wetting baby boy. I know you don't want to imagine Jesus wet in the bed, but he probably did. He probably did. Don't let yourself picture Jesus as if he wasn't this true human. That Jesus came out of the womb saying to Mary, look at me, woman. You know, do you, do you believe in substitutionary atonement? Hypostatic union, Right? This is the view that we have of Jesus, as if he is just, he came out fully God in a sense of, not a sense of humanity. But no, Jesus was a human. You know, I love when you think about this, this, this Christmas carol that says, Silent night, holy night. And I think to myself, honestly and truthfully, any of you who have babies, and uh, Adam and Mary, you will realize that, it will not be a silent night. There are no silent nights. We pray for a silent night, but we don't get silent nights. It was a holy night, but I promise you it wasn't a silent night. 
That's because Jesus was fully human. As we observe these things, we must understand the importance of the humanity of Christ. He was fully human physically, emotionally, and as well mentally. He was. So why must we affirm Jesus' humanity? Why emphasize Jesus' humanity? Because we must affirm Jesus' full humanity because it means that Jesus was fully able to identify with us. That's exactly what the author of Hebrews picked up on and said. Jesus had to become like us in every way so that he can be the sympathetic high priest. I don't know about you, man, but I hate taking advice from people who have never walked in my shoes. Right? Have you ever experienced this before? Like maybe someone who doesn't they have no children and they come up to you and they're like, you know what? You shouldn't allow your kids to watch any kinds of uh, 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 like devices. Don't give them any devices. They can't, they can't watch Pepper Pig. Don't let them watch Pepper Pig. You know, uh, Caillou, don't let them watch any of these kind of stuff. You know, when I have my child, they will never do any of that. And then later on, you realize when they have the child, the child's watching all kinds of stuff, right? And it's because, look, why do you give me advice when you haven't walked through what I'm walking through, right? Jesus can give us great advice because he's walked through this. He truly has in every way possible. And this is the beauty here. Friends, coming closer and don't miss this. This is the truth for us about the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Can you please write this down? Coming closer and write this down. Beloved, you have a Savior who is familiar with your struggles physically, mentally, and emotionally. And that is because of the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think with me as well. Not only do we see Jesus' humanity in this text, but verse 21 points to the fact of Jesus' divinity. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. The very name Jesus means Yahweh is our salvation. The Lord saves what does he save us from? He saves us from our sins. He has forgiven us of our sins. No one can forgive your sins like Jesus can. You get this. Even when you sinned against someone and they say, I forgive you, the greatest sense of forgiveness is from God. This is why we get what David said. You and you alone have I sinned against, Right? Our greatest forgiveness comes from God. And this is exactly what Scripture tells us. In Psalm chapter 130, verses 7 through 8, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. God is redeeming and forgiven, not man. This is, this is the greatest pitfall for us to believe that we just need forgiveness from people and not God. We need God's ultimate forgiveness. This is why in Matthew later on, when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, that the Pharisees and Sadducees thought he was blaspheming. And notice very carefully what they said. 
and get it into the boat, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and get it into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lion on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And notice verse 3, and behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Who can forgive? Only God. And they're absolutely right. Only God can forgive. What they failed to understand is that Jesus is God. He's God here. Jesus is forgiven sin because he is God. So here it is. In his divinity, he can forgive us because he is God. I love what David Platt states here. He said, part of the purpose of the virgin birth of Jesus is to show us that salvation does not come from men, but from God. Salvation is wholly the work of a supernatural God, not the work of nat natural man. A work of a supernatural God, not a work of a natural man. But you notice in the text that Matthew continues Matthew tells us of a very important passage of Scripture. He quotes from the Old Testament. And ten times in the book of Matthew, he will quote from the Old Testament to show you the validity of what he's saying, right? He wants you to see that Jesus is fulfilling all of these things. Jesus is the fulfillment here. Don't miss this. And here specifically, he quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And notice what Isaiah 14, 7 mentions. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel here means God with us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it tells us about this great Emmanuel. It mentions this, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen the glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word dwelt here in the original language basically means to tabernacle with us. I am amazed of all the wonderful names given to Jesus in Scripture. Coming closer and listen to me brag on my Lord. Better yet, listen to Scripture brag on our Lord. He is called the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the Anointed One, the Messiah. He is our Prophet, Priest, and King. He is our Savior, the only wise God. He is our Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the Lord, the Almighty. He is the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. He is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. He is the logos, the light, the light of the world, the light of life, the tree of life, the word of life, the bread that came down from heaven, the spring which if a person drinks of it, he will never thirst again. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the resurrection, the life. He is our rock, our bridegroom, our beloved, our redeemer. He is the head over all things, which is the body, the church. He is 
Jesus. This is how Scripture brags about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But don't miss this. Emmanuel is God with us and in the fact that Jesus himself here, Mary is impregnated by the Holy Spirit. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And in the end, at the end of the book of Matthew, we're even told Jesus is with us. He's always with us, right? This is the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's a God who is with us. Matthew 28 verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I have commended you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. And we see his name here, Emmanuel, God with us. And he will always be with us. You know what I absolutely love about this? Although God is transcendent over us, don't miss this. Coming closer, get this. This is mind-boggling. Although God is transcendent over us, he is present with us. This is the God who created the universe. Deeper than the depth of the ocean, taller than the peak of the mountain. Greater than anything you can ever imagine. Yes, he is transcendent. But this same God is with us. He's with us. Although his glory is far above us, his grace is near us. Yes, his glory is above us. We see multiple times in scripture when the angel of the Lord appears to the people, they fall back. The glory of God is above us. And we should make much of the glory of God, but do not miss this. God is with us through his grace. He lavishes upon us his grace moment by moment. And that's an indication that God is with us, friends. It's amazing. This God who spoke the world into being, the God who rules over all creation, every star in the sky, every mountain peak, every grain of sand, the sun and the moon, all the oceans and all the deserts of the earth, God is greater than. And yet he is near us. Come in close and don't miss this. God whose glory is beyond our imagination and whose holiness is beyond our comprehension, and yet this God is with you. Do not miss this. So as I close and we move to the, set, the last point, I do want to make a very important point here about the virgin birth of Christ. What is the implication of the, of the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ? As fully God, Jesus was able to pay the eternal penalty of our sin. We see this in verse 21, for which humanity could not atone. No man can atone, only God has to. So in his divinity, Jesus died and he paid the penalty. As fully human, he could be our adequate representative and substitutionary sacrifice. They needed a sacrifice. God demanded a sacrifice. And not an animal sacrifice, 
But God demanded a sacrifice, and the only adequate sacrifice was God himself. And this is why Jesus came in human form to die for us. So the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ tells us about Jesus' full humanity and also Jesus' full divinity. But as we close, notice the final point. Joseph's obedience. Joseph's obedience. We see this in verses 24 through 25. Take a look at verse 24 with me. As we close. In verse 24, when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Do you see obedience here? I mean, amazing obedience. And it's because of genuine faith that Joseph had. The text here gives us a great story of adoption. Joseph was not the biological father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but the stepfather of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he adopted him. What a great picture of adoption here. You know, I think of, of even my, in my own story with my stepdad. My stepdad married my mother when I was two years old. So um, my biological father's last name is McFallon. Thank God, I don't have that name. Um, but Celestine is my, is my uh, stepfather's name. So he adopted me when I was uh, two years old. And I call him dad. I have a good relationship with my father now. But my stepdad is like my dad. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, the man that he is, the way he cares for my family. So e even in this adoption story, I, I see grace and I see mercy because I was adopted myself. And, and here we see Joseph's disposition. Adopting Jesus, being with Jesus. And here's a very important thing for us to observe as we close. The text mentioned he did not knew his wife until after, right? So there, there are many beliefs that Jesus had no siblings. There are many beliefs that Mary stayed without having children. The Bible does not say that. The Bible actually says the opposite. He knew his wife. By knowing your wife, if she was capable of having one child, the possibility is she's capable of having more children. And knowing your wife, that's how you get to have children. And this is what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 through 56, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son, talking about Jesus? Is not his mother called Mary? And not his brothers, right? Jesus had brothers. Who are his brothers? James. And Joseph and Simon and Judas. So James here, as many of the historians believe, wrote the book of James, the epistle James. And Judas here is Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. So they became believers after. So we know of his brothers. We have historical proof of it as well. And are not his sisters with us. So the text tells us that Jesus had siblings. Mary had more children. Why is that important? Because there are some beliefs, some religion, that will tell you that Mary had no children. But we want what the Bible says, right? Amen? That's what we want. So that's what we want to follow. And the Bible says this. In closing, I want to capture this great imagery of Jesus' full divinity and yet Jesus' full humanity. And I want to do this by allowing Charles Wesley to speak to us. Wesley composed of this great hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. 
And in his second stanza, he's really focusing on the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ with a powerful name, Emmanuel. Listen, this is what Wesley wrote. Christ, by his highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity please as man with please as man with man to dwell jesus our emmanuel hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king this is what we sing this is good theology this points to the divinity and yet the humanity of our lord jesus christ so friends as we begin this great Advent season, as we will preach on the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, I just want to encourage you to sit, relax, and contemplate on the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The real reason for this season is Jesus. I kind of feel cliche saying that, but it's good. It's true, right? The real reason for the season is Jesus. So join me as we pray together. Father, we thank you for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that we make much of Jesus to know that the glory of Christ has transcended above us, but yet the grace of Christ is near us. How can this majestic God love us? How can we know that? By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is intimately involved in our lives. He is Emmanuel. All of the religions put God so far from the people, but yet God is never intimate with the people. But Christianity says he is transcendent, yet he is near us. So God, as we know of the birth of our Lord Jesus, the full humanity of our Lord Jesus, the full divinity of our Lord Jesus, let us make much of Jesus in this season. In your mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen.